0: We have a special message for you this morning as we start, we begin a new sermon series on a topic that many of you know very much about because you've got a lot of experience in this area. And our new sermon series is called, as you as you probably noticed from the front of your programs that you received on the way in, our new sermon series is called 9 to 5. And we're going to be talking about... Uh, the ministry of work and the importance of labor in our lives. And, and I know that there's going to be some, if not many of you in here this morning, that might be inclined to tune me out because I've done my time. I've put in my years. I've put, I've paid into Social Security. I have. Saved up for retirement. I have long since retired. And there might be some of you that are like, Chris, I am very close to retirement. So I don't really think I need anybody teaching me or preaching to me about the importance of work because I have put my time in. But I want to remind us. Each and every one of us, no matter where we're at, my two daughters are here and they have yet to start in the workforce. And then there are some of you that have maybe been, been retired for, for multiple years. I think that there is something for each and every one of us this morning because we were all created to work, even in retirement. Now think about your retirement years. For those of you who are retired, I want to speak to you for just a moment because we are going to, we are going to speak to those who are still working for the the majority of the service this morning. But even in retirement, you were created to work. You know, my parents, um, my dad in, in particular, he retired a couple years ago. He's 69 years old and he retired two or three years ago. And he's told me multiple times, uh, through his retirement, he says, Chris, I'm busier now than when I was working. And have any of you found that to be true? You find yourselves busier in retirement? Listen, folks, we were created to work because we are a reflection of the God of the universe who created us and is a worker himself. And I, I know that for some of you, because of the amount of work, because of the type of work, as you consider work and its place in your life, you might consider it to be a four-letter word, and it is a four-letter word, W-O-R-K, but A four-letter word of of another type, but I want to remind us that God created us to be workers and that he created work to be more than a curse. And in God's perfect design, as we go back all the way back to the beginning, he made us to be workers and it should be redeemed as an act of worship because we were created to contribute to the creation that God made for us. And So think about this for just a moment you will spend over 90,000 hours of your life at work. Almost 100,000 hours of our lives we will spend at work. That's nearly 40% of your life. 40% of of the days that you live and breathe, you will spend at work. And the sad reality is is that a poll that was taken recently showed that two-thirds of the people that were polled said that if they could be given another job, if they could have another job, if they could do something different than what they currently do, they would prefer to do another job. Many people go their whole careers in jobs that that don't satisfy, that don't fulfill, that they don't enjoy, and they would rather do something else. If we're going to spend 40% of our lives doing this thing called work in order to make a paycheck, shouldn't we make sure that it is Ministry? Shouldn't we make sure that it is meaningful? Shouldn't we make sure that it brings satisfaction? And I want to talk this morning about the purpose of work as we start this new series. And work is an important part of our life. And we can go all the way back to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where Solomon, the king of a nation, is writing about the importance of work. And he's asking this one question, what is the purpose of all of my toil? Ecclesiastes 3.9 says this, what gain has the worker from his toil? What's the purpose of our work? If we're spending 50 years, nearly 50 years of our lives earning a paycheck, what is the purpose beyond just making money and preparing for retirement? And I want to talk to you about that this morning because this is a question at some point each and every one of us probably have to be confronted with. And it's easy to view work as a punishment from God, but the reality is, is that from the very beginning, work was never meant to be a punishment, it was a blessing. And we look at work now, and we look at it after the uh, the consequences of the fall, and we think to ourselves, well, I have to work, and work is difficult, because I have to, I have to earn a wage, I have to make a living through the sweat of my own brow, and this is not something that I necessarily look forward to going to day in and day out, but that's not how it was from the very beginning, because before sin entered the world, God had given work for mankind, and he had given them assignments. I'm going to share many passages of Scripture with you this morning. We're going to kind of jump all over. This is going to be very topical today, not necessarily an expositional passage of Scripture that we'll be preaching through, but Genesis chapter. 2 Verse 15 talks about how work was given to us at the very beginning. It says, The Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. You see, the result of sin is not work, the result of sin is work that is made much harder. It's made much more difficult. In fact, after the fall, because Adam and Eve fell, because they rebelled against God and they decided to go their own way, the work that God had given to them in the garden now became much more difficult. It became demeaning. It became a drudgery and it became disappointing. And many of you, as you think about your careers, your day to day grind that you go through, or the grind that you went through for your whole career, you might think to yourselves, man, it was difficult. And it was a drudgery and it was disappointing and it was, it was demeaning at times. But I want you to understand that work plays a very essential and, and important part in our lives more than just a paycheck. It's a way that we can worship God. It's a way that we can reflect the God who created us in his image because our God is a worker. In fact, John chapter 5, Jesus told his followers in verse 17, he said, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. The God that we worship is a God who works. He created for six days and then he rested. He did meaningful, creative work and it was fulfilling and it was glorifying to himself and he created us to live a life and to live rhythms that glorifies and honors him every day, day in and day out, as we put our hands to the things that he's placed in front of us. And I want to ruin some of your mornings right now, right here in this place, okay? I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but this might ruin it for some of you. I want to let you know that in eternity, in heaven, there's going to be work, And some of you are like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. But the great thing about the work in heaven is that it's going to be intentional and it's going to be fulfilling and it's going to be a good work. We're going to have responsibilities and we're going to have jobs and it's going to be You know, productive and it's going to be meaningful for us. And there's not going to be micromanaging bosses. There's not going to be inner office politics. There's not going to be workman's comp or HR files to fill out. There's not going to be the grind of every day. It's just going to be gratification. That's the kind of work that God created for us to experience at the very beginning before we fell, before we rebelled against Him. And at the very end of all things in eternity, That's what it's going to look like again. And it's something for us to look forward to. And maybe for some of you, you got to that place in your career or you're at that place right now. And you understand the value of a good day's work. And you wake up every day thinking, I get to do this. I look forward to my job. It's barely even work. I can't believe they pay me to do this work because I love it so much. Some of you have gotten to that place And for the rest of us who maybe never got there or haven't gotten there yet, this is something for us to look forward to in eternity. Some of you might remember this song from 1981. This takes us back just a few decades. 1981, there was a band called Loverboy who wrote the lyrics that everybody's working for the weekend. You probably remember those lyrics. Whether you know that song, if you heard the tune, it would probably come back to you. Those of you who have been around the sun just a few times, everybody's working for the weekend. And then there are others of us that are just thinking about, I'm just trying to make it to retirement. I'm just trying to get to that point where I can mail it in, where I can kind of put it on cruise control. And here's the sad reality for many people in our culture. And this is just not for people that are sitting in the pews here this morning. This is for people in our culture. There are many who work there, they work their, their days and their evenings, they work year in, year out, decade in, year and decade out, maybe putting in nearly 50 years of labor simply so that they can enjoy maybe their best and first 10 years of retirement. In order that they can live for 10 years and enjoy 10 years of retirement until they can't enjoy it anymore because health uh, declines and money runs out and it's just simply backwards It's backwards that we toil for 50 years just to enjoy a few years at the end of our lives. There's more to work than preparing for retirement. There's more to work than just making a paycheck. There's purpose and our productivity. And so you might be here today, and you're still a part of that workforce. And I want to I encourage you with the words of the Lord as we look at Scripture this morning. And I want to challenge you to approach your daily work as more than just a paycheck, as more than just a preparation for retirement. And for those of you who are here this morning, and you're already retired, you know that just because you don't collect a paycheck anymore, just because you don't punch a clock anymore, you know that doesn't mean that you no longer have to work. It just means your work looks different. And you put your focus in different places. And so for each and every one of us, I believe that there's something for us to learn today. And so this morning, I want to look at four specific purposes of work based on what we see in Scripture. And I'm going to give you basically four levels of work um, and here's a few that might encourage you as you face your nine to five, um, even into your retirement year. So what's the purpose of work? I want to give you four levels, very simple levels of work this morning. The first level is this, survival. If you're taking notes, this would be a really good place for you to just write down a few things. The first level of work is survival to be able to meet my personal needs. You've heard the quote, maybe you heard the, the Disney character sing it. I owe, I owe. It's off to work I go. Um, many of us, we approached our careers, we approached our work with that mentality. I owe, I owe. Off to work I go. I have to pay bills. I have to, make, I have to meet my needs. I have to survive. And maybe you've been at that place where your work didn't satisfy, it didn't fulfill, it didn't gratify you whatsoever, but you worked in that job because it was the job that God gave you simply so that you could provide and you could survive. And I've had one of those jobs. I know what it's like. And I never want to go back to that again, that survival mode. Because for three years, when I was in between ministry jobs in my late 20s, I worked at a semiconductor factory in Boise, Idaho called Micron. And we made uh, microchips. We made DRAM. We made imaging chips for cell phones. And so there was a chance that if you had a Razer phone, a Motorola Razer phone, in the mid-2000s, there was a chance that I helped make the imaging chip and the camera that was in that cell phone. And we would make storage memory and storage for computers and DRAM and this thing, this thing and that. And I got to tell you guys, it was the worst job I have ever had. We were in between ministries, and I had hoped that maybe it would be like a two-year stint, and then I would get back into ministry. Well, it turned into three years. And our oldest at the time was three years old. And my wife, when I quit my first ministry job, when I resigned from that, She was pregnant with our second daughter, and so I needed to collect a paycheck, first of all, and I needed to have good health insurance to be able to pay for this pregnancy. And so I did what I had to do, and I'm telling you, it was the most difficult season of our lives. I was working 12-hour shifts on the weekends, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, every other Wednesday night. I would go in at 6.30 p.m., I would get off at 6.30 a.m., By the time I got home from work, it was usually around 7.15, 7.30, and my wife would be ready to walk out the door and go to her day job. We were literally ships passing in the night. That's all we did for four or five days a week. We just passed each other. And it was a really difficult season, but I've been there. For those of you who are like, I hate my job, it's just a means to survive. For those of you who look back at your career and you say, I don't know why I stuck with it as long as I did. We just had to survive. Maybe that was the place that you were at. So I've been there. And the worker at this level works to meet the basic needs to simply survive. And this survival is the most basic reason for working, even if it's not the most rewarding or the most fulfilling reason to work. But we all have to provide for our needs. We are to be self-sufficient and to provide for our families. And Scripture talks very pointedly about this. We're to be the ones that provide for our families. It's not the government's job. It's not the government's responsibility to provide for us. It's not the social services responsibilities to provide for us. It's not the church's responsibility to provide for us. It's our job to provide for us. Now, as a blessing, we do have these organizations and we do have these um, services in our country that help for those who cannot provide for themselves for whatever reason. But by and large, Scripture tells us that it's our job to provide the needs for our family. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 5 says this, but if anyone, in verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And those are harsh words right there, is it? If he does not provide for his family... If he does not provide for his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So I understand from Scripture, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, that providing for myself, providing for my family is my responsibility. But the unfortunate thing is that the evolution of our current culture has basically indoctrinated able-bodied workers to rely on others to provide for them. And we've become lazy and we've actually rewarded laziness and people have learned not only how to manipulate the system, but they've learned how to justify it like it's everybody else's job to provide for me. In fact, I ran across this editorial from the LA Times that was written several years ago and it was, it's, it's almost comical. It's so sad. Uh, it's bizarre. And so somebody wrote this editorial, put it in the LA Times, which millions of readers read every day. And I just thought I would share this with you with a little bit of humor and an understanding of how some people approach their attitude of survival and work. So this is what, this is what a part of the editorial said. It said, there's been a lot of criticism of people lately who do not want to work, especially when they're collecting welfare. Now, most people prefer to work, and that's fine for them, but others may prefer to sit at the park or go to the beach or observe the wonders of nature. Those who dislike working should not be penalized by depriving them of the benefits of all of our society. There's plenty for all of us to go around. Everyone does not feel the same about working. Some people actually have built in feelings about work that could make it very unpleasant for them when they're required to work. <laughs> now, these feelings could be looked upon as a handicap. We do not punish others with handicap. Instead, our society provides for them, and we should do the same with those, for those with a natural dislike for work. Why can't we all just live and let live with each other living his own lifestyle? That's crazy, isn't it? That someone would write that and actually publish it in in a newspaper that millions of people would read. And that's just the reality of where we have come and where we have traveled as a nation. Once upon a time, and you remember it well, once upon a time, there was a mentality that if you did not work, you did not eat. And if you did not eat, you did not survive. In fact, let's go back to scripture again in 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 3 verse 10 says for even when we were with you this is Paul saying to the church when we were with you as missionaries we would give you this command if anyone is not willing to work let him not eat this is what we were created to do to survive to provide for ourselves so here's the here's the alternative let's assume that you're wealthy let's just assume that you have worked hard over the lifetime of a career, or you maybe inherited a large sum of money. In fact, my oldest daughter, Sydney, and I were talking about this on Friday night. Somebody just won the Mega Millions Lottery in, in, I think it was Indiana or Illinois, just this last week. Anybody read about that or hear about that? Someone won over $1 billion in the lottery. And I think to myself often, what would I do if I came into a billion dollars? Have you ever thought about that? What would you do if you were a billionaire? I think I would probably buy a jet and just fly all over the country and go sit under palm trees and just put bury my feet in the sand and just enjoy the tropics. I think the first thing I would do at my house is I would put a Mountain Dew fountain right in my house somewhere, you know? Like, these are the things that my brain thinks about. And my daughter asked me, she said, Dad, would you keep working if you won a billion dollars and came into a billion dollars overnight? And my first inclination was, no way I would keep working. But then I thought to myself, you know what? I love what I do. I love that I get to be here and preach with you good people. I love that I get to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know that if I were to stop working, that my life would then lack satisfaction and significance and impact. And so, folks, we are created to work, whether we're wealthy or whether we're not. And we need to take the responsibility upon ourselves to provide for ourselves. God didn't put us here simply to survive. He didn't put us here to take up space, to breathe air, to live, uh, live life um, for our own pleasure, to pay taxes and to die. He put us here to make a contribution and he expects us to contribute with our life even into our retirement years. And if you're retired, I wanna, I wanna encourage you and remind you, you still have something to contribute to God's kingdom. I can brag on people that I know in this very room right now that have contributed to God's kingdom even into their retirement years. I think about men that came up here when we were doing work on the building about a year and a half ago that spent days and days and days up here just painting rooms. They had time on their hands to give and they just said, you know what, this is a service that I can provide. This is how God has called me to work. I can make an impact with my time, with my talents, with my hand. There are men and women that come up here on a weekly basis and pray on Wednesday nights and Saturday mornings and Tuesday mornings and they just pray together for the mission and the kingdom work of God. These are people that are working in their retirement years in order to contribute. But the first level of work and the first purpose of work is simply to survive. The second level is success. Success to provide for God's purposes. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 4. We get a little bit nervous sometimes when we talk about prosperity and we talk about wealth and we talk about success in the church. Proverbs 13 4 says this, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The diligent, the Bible says, are the ones that are richly supplied. They're the ones that find success because they they toil and they work and they work with intention and they work hard. And I want you to understand this morning that there is a very significant difference between a prosperity gospel and between enjoying the prosperity that God gives you. Never would I stand up in front of you and preach a name it and claim it type of gospel. Well, if, if God says this is so, and you, you give money in the offering plate, or, 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 or you follow the Lord, or you send money into a televangelist, then God owes it to you to prosper you. That is not at all what I'm preaching. But scripture does tell us that there is nothing against wealth. There is nothing against success. What scripture is against, what God is against is selfishness. And he's against greed, but he's not against success. You see, God chooses to bless some because of their hard work. And I believe that as Christians, we should celebrate that. You should never feel guilty because you got a degree and you put in your time at work and you worked hard and God blessed you through a lifetime and the fruits of your lifetime of labor. I tell my parents, you know, they're in their retirement years again, and they've got some money um, that they could enjoy. And I tell them all the time, mom, dad, enjoy it. Don't just worry about sending it and saving it all for us to pass down as an inheritance. Enjoy the fruits of your labor. You've worked for this. God has blessed you richly with this. And so learn to enjoy it. But the problem is, is my parents don't know how to enjoy it. They just want to, they want to sit at home and they enjoy their house and they don't like to travel. And I just wish that they would do some of those things, but that's just not the lifestyle that they live. But I I believe strongly that we celebrate and scripture celebrates the successes of righteous people. Think about some of the wealthiest, most righteous men in the Bible and women for that matter. Think about Abraham and Moses and Job and David and Solomon and Lydia in the New Testament. These are some of the wealthiest people in their generation, in their time, in the world. And yes, we put in work. We put in our effort to survive. We put in our hard effort on a a daily basis in a nine-to-five job. But God is the one that brings the increase. He's the one that brings our success. And I want to tell you this this morning. In case you start to look around and compare yourself to culture and, and your neighbors and the people that have much. And you feel like you've got little. I want to remind you how successful you really are. Because what you probably don't realize is that you are a part of an exclusive worldwide club. You're a part of the 1% club. If you don't know what the 1% club is, let me just tell you. If you earn a household income of $33,000 or more a year, you are a part of the 1% wealthiest wage earners in all of the world. $33,000. $33,000. Now, that was a statistic that was given about five years ago. So I'm sure that number has climbed a little bit. But my guess is, is that every one of you at some point in your career probably made that much money, if not more, um, through through your income and through your jobs. So we're a part of a very wealthy club and we don't even understand sometimes how wealthy and how successful we are because we're always looking at that person that made not 33,000 but 333,000 or 3.3 million or 3.3 billion there's always somebody that's wealthier than we are and so it's easy to think to ourselves I'm not very successful because I'm always comparing myself to someone else but if we compare ourselves to the 99% of the world we are a wealthy wealthy people. God has blessed us tremendously. You know, one of the godliest men that I ever knew was one of the most successful businessmen that I ever knew. His name was John. He was an elder at our church in Durango, Colorado, and he was a godly man. He actually gave my wife a job, and he was very generous to her and very good to her. But John was one of those guys that just had an ability to make money. Like, you would watch him, and he just he, he, he was wealthy, but he never flaunted it. He never talked about how much money he had, but you knew that he had it. Um, and he he had nice things, right? Like He had a, a big house, and he had a camper, and he had a nice big diesel truck, and he had property. But he never flaunted it. He never bragged about it. He was extremely humble, but he was the most generous person that I have ever met. In fact, he would never tell us this, but I know that secretly he and his wife on a regular basis, maybe once a year, every couple of years, they would gift all of our pastors on staff and their families generous gifts. I'm talking like they would write checks to everybody on staff for like $500, Or one time it was like a thousand dollar check that they just wanted to bless us with. And they never told us it was them. Our treasurer at our church would never tell us. But I just knew, I always knew that it was John and his wife because that was their way. They were just naturally giving people. And so they had this really big house on like several acres of property. But they had this big house in order that they would take care of their elderly parents. They wanted their parents to live with them so that they didn't have to live in a nursing home. They would open their house up to guests. Anytime new people were were coming into our church, they would have barbecues and get-togethers, and they would always invite outsiders in to bring them into community. He had a big old diesel F-350 truck that would pull his big old fifth-wheel camper, and he would let us borrow his truck every year to take luggage to kids' camp so we could haul luggage back and forth. And he would take his camper, he would park it up into the mountains, and he would let people that he was friends with, people in the church, and my wife and I in particular, he would let us camp over the weekend just so that we could enjoy God's creation because we couldn't afford our own camper. He was one of the most generous people that I ever met. And this is what he used to say about his day job. He was very wealthy, he he was very successful, but he said this. He said, Chris, I simply do my day job in order to support my church habit. He had a church habit. He just wanted to do the work of the kingdom. He wanted to do the work of the gospel. And he did this day job because he knew if he found success in it, he would find significance in his ministry. He would find significance in the kingdom of God. And so, folks, success is not... I want you to understand it's not always defined by prosperity or power or position. But oftentimes it is. And we can look at Scripture and some of the most successful people... And the scripture tells us that they were smart managers or smart investors of the things that God had placed in their hand. In fact, you look at Matthew chapter 25, and it's the parable of the talents. And the servant comes back after giving each of his... Uh, each of his um, the master comes back after giving each of the servants a, a certain amount of, of money or talents, and he expected them to invest it. And two of them did. And what did those two hear each time when he came back and checked in on his affairs? He said... Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant, because they invested the money. They didn't all return the same amount. They didn't all end up with equal amounts of money, but they were responsible and good managers of the money that they were given, and they invested it wisely and smartly, and they found success. However, on the flip side, if you remember back to the New Testament, you heard the story of the rich young ruler where Jesus is approached by this young man who has kept all of the law of the prophets. He's done everything that is in the Old Testament in the law. And he says, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? I've kept the law from my youth. I've done everything that the Bible says. What must I do to find success? What must I do to find salvation? And Jesus said to himself, I know what has your heart. He said, take all that you have, sell it. And give it to the poor, and then you will find treasures in heaven. And what happened with the rich young ruler? He couldn't do it. Because he didn't own his stuff, his stuff owned him. He couldn't do it because he had much wealth. And we look at the rich young ruler now and we say, that's not necessarily the picture of a success story. Folks, at the end of our days, you may never make a million dollars. You may never climb all the way to the top of that corporate ladder. You may never have a book written about you or your name in a plaque on the front of a building. You may never be a global influencer, but that doesn't mean that you haven't been successful. Biblical success is faithfully stewarding what God places in your hand through the work that he gives you. So the question is not really about whether you're successful or not. The question is, what are you doing with the success that God has given you? That's the second level of our work. The third level, and we'll move a little quickly, is satisfaction. The third level, once we've moved beyond survival and then success, we move to satisfaction to utilize my God-given shape. Every one of you have been gifted by God. And most of us, you're probably at this place where you've already arrived, You've already found that survival mode. You've moved past it. You've survived all of these years. You've already found some level of success. And now you're to the point where you're like, I want to know that my life is significant. I want to know that there's satisfaction spiritually. You want that satisfaction of knowing that you're contributing to something that is unique, something that only you can give back to the world, something that only you can serve the world with. Every one of us have been shaped for service. Did you know that? Every one of you have gifts. You have talents and abilities. You have a SHAPE, as we like to talk about it. SHAPE is an acronym for spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. And every one of you have been uniquely shaped by our creator God in order to contribute to your world and in your generation. And he wants you to make a significant contribution, not only in the church that you serve at, but in the workplace that you go into every day. And when you use your God-given talents and gifts, it, it brings gospel fulfillment and it brings personal satisfaction. And everything that makes up who you are was given to you as a gift from God so that you can be God's gift to the world that you go into. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says this, for we are his workmanship. We are the handiwork of God. He worked to create us and we are that workmanship Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Work is a place for you to utilize your shape to make a significant contribution to the world beyond your own personal success. And God has wired each and every one of us differently. He's wired each each of us uniquely in order that we can get all the different things done. You know, some of you in here this morning, you love numbers. Any, like, number crunchers, Excel spreadsheet people, like, fine details? Anybody like that this morning? You just like the details. Okay, I don't see any hands, but I see fingers doing this. <laughs> All right? You might be into details and numbers and logistics. I'm into, like, dreaming of possibilities. I'm into stories. You might love planning. I love spontaneity. You might love, um, you might have calluses on your hands from hard work. Well, guess what? I have calluses on my fingers from hard typing, you know, on my keyboard. We're all different. God has wired each and every one of us different because we all find satisfaction in doing different things. And it's a reflection of his diverse nature that he's made us to be. You know, we have a, we have a class here at Crossroads called Shape. And I just explained what shape is to you. And what we try to do through shape is to help you discover exactly how God has created you and how you can use your personal unique shape in order to make an impact in your workplace and in your church through ministry. How you can find satisfaction by using the gifts that God has given you wherever you go. And let me tell you, when you understand what your shape is, And you find that sweet spot where you say, I know why this is, this is why God created me. I know he created me for this purpose. When you find that place and you can work in that place and you get to go from have to, to get to, that is the, that is the, the, the satisfaction bullseye. That is the place that we all want to be when we get to go from have to, to get to. I don't have to do this. I get to do this. And shape is an opportunity for you to learn about how God has wired you to work out his gifts that he's given you. And if you have interest in this class, we're going to introduce our... um we're going to introduce our fall communities catalog in just a few weeks. I would encourage you to look for it in our growth track. You can sign up for it. Take this class. We'd love to walk through how God has shaped you so that even uh, in the later years of your career, even in ministry in the church or even in retirement, you can work out uh, your shape that is specific to you and how God has created you. And then the fourth level, level—that's that the third level is success. We've gone from survival to satisfaction to success and the fourth and last level is significance. Significance to make an eternal investment. And this is the highest purpose of all of work. Eternity is more important than our survival. It's more important than our satisfaction and our success. He wants us, God wants us to have a personal like significance in life. He wants us to make a significant contribution to his work in the world. We were created, you guys, We were created with eternity in our hearts. We go back to Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, he says this, He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. You will never find ultimate fulfillment in life until you live with eternity in mind until you invest in the things that build the kingdom of God. Folks, we were created to contribute to more than a 401k, more than our Roth IRAs, more than our children's college funds, more than our, our grandchildren's college funds, more than building bigger kingdoms for ourselves. We were, we were created to contribute a significance in God's kingdom and your skills and your career and your hobbies, they can all be leveraged for the glory of God to the point Um, where we can serve the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you to never downplay the gifts and the abilities and the talents that God has given you. Because for some of us, we feel like I don't have much to offer. I'm a pretty insignificant individual. I'm really a nobody. I'm not really outgoing. I'm not very charismatic. I'm not very talented. I don't know how to make a lot of money. I'm not the most generous person. I'm not the most popular person. Whatever it might be, it's easy for us to say, you know what? I'm really not that important. I'm not that significant. When it comes to the work of God in the grand scheme of things, I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that would tell you otherwise, starting in verse 20. As it is, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor against the head, Uh, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, and this is where I want you to pay attention, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Scripture tells us that within the body of Christ as a believer with the Holy Spirit of God in us and the gifts and the shape that he has blessed us with, we are actually indispensable parts of the body. And it's so difficult sometimes to understand that God has something unique for us and that we are important in the kingdom of God. But nonetheless, the promise is there for every one of us that we are indispensable in his work. Folks, what would it look like if you approached your workplace and your place and your ministry in the church as if you were irreplaceable, as if you were on mission? You know, many of you, you know Josh Atwell. He's been preaching here um, for several months now, and he's going to be preaching on a more regular basis, maybe one to two times a month. You're going to hear his voice more up here. And we're looking forward to that. But Josh is a laborer. Josh is a a stonemason by trade and, and he's found his place in the mission of God where God has planted him. Because as much as Josh loves to preach in the service, as much as he loves being an elder, he's not been called to do that as a vocation. He's been called to be a light in a dark place. He works in the construction business. And he works with some pretty rough guys. And he's told me stories of some of the people that he works with and some of the things that they're into and how dark his workplace is. Several months ago, um, he came to me and he was telling me a story of one of the guys that's on his team that comes rushing into his office and says, Josh, I need to talk with you. Josh kind of drops everything just to be available to this guy that is under his... Um, under his leadership. And he sits down and he starts asking Josh all these questions about life and all these questions about spiritual things and all these questions about religion because he recognized something different in Josh. He knew that Josh was a God follower, that he was a Christian. And this guy's life was kind of a train wreck. And Josh would probably never share the story with you because he's humble. He doesn't want to brag about how God has used him. But I asked permission to be able to share this story. So he's listening to this guy just kind of go off about the mess that he had made of his life and how he had missed everything. And he was looking for direction. He was looking for purpose. He was looking for significance. And Josh just listened and waited and discerned what God was doing in that moment. He lets the guy talk. Basically, after he's done talking, he says, listen, this is what you need to know. You need to know that you're a sinner and that Jesus died for you. You need salvation. And today is the day you can receive it. In his very office in Columbus, Ohio, Josh led this man to the Lord. Josh may never be a preacher. He may never be like an industry tycoon. He may never be the CEO of a company. He may never write books. He may never be a social media influencer. But I promise you this, he has influence for the kingdom of God where God has placed him in his work environment. God wants to use you in that same type of significant way if you'll just look for the opportunities. And there are people all around us that are looking for a light in a dark place. They're looking for something different, for something that's peculiar, for someone to point them to Jesus. Wherever you go, folks, I want you to understand that you are to live sent into the world in order to make a kingdom impact and advance the gospel message of Jesus. And as a worker, you can go to places that no vocational missionary will be able to go in the future. Because Increasingly, more and more countries are closing to the gospel and closing to professional Christians or missionaries. And so how will the new missionaries get into places um, that are hostile toward Christianity in the future? through the labor market, through workers, through people that have a skill that say, instead of just using this for selfish desires and my own purposes and needs, I'm going to take this gift this ability that God has given me, and I'm going to go to people that have been unreached and have never heard the name of Jesus. And I'm going to take my skill and I'm going to use it for the glory of God in order to tell people about the good news of Christ. Folks, your labor is not, nor has it ever been in vain when you seek God first. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you if we seek god first he will bring not only survival not success not satisfaction but he'll bring significance if we if we seek him first in our work and in our jobs and our goal at the end of our days whenever retirement is for you whenever you cross that cross that threshold into heaven our goal is not to get to god and say god look at all the money that i saved god look at all the money that I earned and look how big my 401k was and how big my investment portfolio was. God, look at all the money that I spent in the big house and the swimming pools and the multiple cars and all the toys that I purchased. Our goal is not to get to God and present that to him, but to get to God and say, God, I invested well what you entrusted to me. I was a good steward. I leveraged everything I had for the kingdom, whether it was in my family, whether it was in my church, whether it was in my workplace. And folks, can you imagine getting to that point where you stand before your maker and you hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have helped advance the great commission that I gave you in your world. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the purpose of our work, to get to a place where we can make a significant contribution to the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's close the message in prayer.